0: Welcome to Season 5, the final season of Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. In this show, we've been talking to some real-life experts on how they've been getting through this time, filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and still those darn feelings of helplessness. And those experts are everyday people, like you and me. Turns out, we have been more than prepared for this moment than we ever would have realized. So let's get started and see what we can relearn, one last time. Sunday. February 28th, which for those of you who may not know or may not remember, February is a short month. And so it just ended or it's ending now. And so we are beginning, (laughs) we're straddling the beginning and end, the end of February and the beginning of March. And we're also straddling the beginning and end potentially of this pandemic in many ways, as we are wrapping up the year. And this is our final interview with my friend Paku. And we are, um, oh my God, am I going to forget it again and send someone to the wrong city or state? We're in Missouri. Yes. Yes. Kansas city, Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I once, I once sent somebody, my partner Emily, to see. Uh, th- these two were supposed to meet up, and we ended up in a different Kansas City or a different St. Louis. I don't remember. All a I know is that Kansas City or a
1: different St. Louis, <laughs> <laughs> or a different Missouri, St. Louis are on opposite sides of the state, as far apart as you can be.
0: <laughs> yes, geography. It's a wonderful thing. Um, and not one that is apparently my best friend. So anyways, I like looking at maps, but tell me to identify something on a map, maybe not my sweet spot. Let's move <laughs> on, shall we? So it is a wonderful Sunday. Thank you so much for giving us uh, time today and time this whole week, really. And the last time you and I spoke, um, it was a few months ago it was previous to the inauguration it was previous to the january 6th insurrection and um but you know if you want to talk about that we definitely still can but I also feel like there's something that's happening today that actually when I brought it up to you, you didn't even know. And it's actually <laughs> one of the first things that I... you and I started talking about on any sort of recorded thing, and that is television and film. And so today, yeah. February 28th, 2021, is actually the night of the Golden Globes, which is the beginning of the award season that happens every new year moment. And so you get the golden globes the sag awards the oscar awards people's choice like all these things start to come about um, sometime between february and march and basically you know this is one of those odd years where what movies are we talking about what television shows are we talking about and i also just want to point out that the last time that we spoke we wanted to and didn't get into as much talk time about the TV show This Is Us, mm. which has definitely been back on since we last yeah. spoke. And there's so much to unpack there. And
1: yes, there's just there there's is. just so
0: much to catch up on. So I'm not even going to start with a topic yet. I'm just going to open up with how are you? How's it going? And if you were to recall some things that have really stood out to you the last couple of months, what would they be?
1: Oh, well, I am doing Okay, um, I am trying to create some structure and order in my life. A year into the pandemic, when everybody was like, "Alice is only gonna last a couple weeks. It's fine. Oh, the kids are just gonna be home from school for like a month. Like, it's we'll figure it out. It's not gonna be so bad." Uh, yeah. So here we are. Um, it's March. Every month is March again. So here we are. (laughs) Um, is what it feels like. (laughs) Like, how can it be March again? It was just March. Last year, um, I, so I'm sure, tr- yeah, I feel like I'm at a point in my life right now where I really am craving some structure and um, after a year of just being like, let's just go with the flow. And I, it's actually been really exhausting. Um, but I've also like, at, I'm also at a point where I've created some discipline around my health. And so like, I'm exercising consistently. I'm now one of those people who gets up at like 4.30 in the morning to go exercise.
0: You are. Um,
1: I am. I am. Four
0: thirty yeah. in the morning.
1: Yeah, to go to like five thirty a.m. group exercise class.
0: Let's rewind. <laughs> what time do you go to bed?
1: Well, that's the challenge. So I'm really typically like asleep at this point by like ten ish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I was a night owl. Like I used to, and and when I was stressed, I would just stay up all night long. So clearly, this has been a stressful year. I've not slept very well this year. Um, but it has meant like really trying to reconfigure my evenings too. Um, but I tell you what, I love these mornings. Like I really, yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite know what I was getting into when I said, I'm going to commit to do this thing, like exercise five days a week and two classes are at five 30 and two classes are at six 30. My, like my like luxury class is Sunday at 9am, you know, like that's like really late, but, um, but I've been doing it, and um, partly to prove to myself that I had the discipline, but also just because uh, I needed some time out of my house, away from my kids, away from my family. Not because I don't love them, but because we've all been together for a year
0: and everybody is in the same place. okay okay note to self when this interview is transcribed (laughs) make sure that that moment where paku says a year is in all caps i just want to make sure that that is really captured as an as an increase in volume Mm
1: yeah so um so yeah it, it feels like a both like a a messy like oh what's next now like 12 months into the pandemic like what's next and everybody's excited about the vaccine and so am I, but I'm not con- like, I don't presume that that means anything. That doesn't mean that how we're living now is going to be any different um, for quite some time. Cause not everybody's going to have it, have it being the vaccine um, and also just trying to create some order in what feels like prolonged chaos.
0: Time out. What is it? <sighs> I, did, I want to know how universal this might be. I've never heard of anyone, nor have I seen in fiction or nonfiction storytelling, an example of someone waking up at an hour, like 4, <laughs> 3 in the morning, and that they're like happy and like rested and feeling good. You know, like I remember before the pandemic, this <laughs> commercial came out that had the soundtrack to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Hi Ho. And it was all these different individuals in the dark, having to wake up and the music would begin, hi ho, right? And all these people would start to wake up in the darkness and, you know, very like slowly and sleepily make it to the restroom and take showers and brush their teeth and eventually make it to the airport. And then like that was their commute, right? It was to wake up at an insane time in the morning to make their flight, to make it to that meeting in such said place by a reasonable early time. And I fell in love with that commercial because before the pandemic, I was traveling two to three times a month in a high ho situation, living in Reno, where the flights you you leave at around five or six in the morning to yeah. make it to the East yeah. Coast, right? And um, and I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is is it a universal idea that if you have to wake up and be somewhere and leave the house at around four 30, that you're like halfway awake and it hurts. It's painful to well, wake up that early, but then well, okay. on the other side of it, you're like, Oh my God, look at what I accomplished. And it's only six. Yeah. That's, that's actually what it is. So like, I'm not
1: saying it feels great when the alarm goes off at four thirty, and I lay in bed for a while, like mm-hmm. even on the days when I don't go to a 5.30 class and it's 6.30, my body is just like, okay, time to wake up because now I've been doing it long enough that my body is now accustomed to waking up that early. So I typically wake up just a couple of minutes before my alarm goes off. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it's easy to get up, but um, the point at which I feel really awake and yeah. happy that I've woken up is actually not when I get to the gym because my gym is literally like a one and a half minute drive from my house. Like I'm really lazy. I could probably just walk the several blocks, but like.
0: Um, but not at 4.30 in the morning. That's not lazy. That's safety.
1: <laughs> and it was also like 30 below zero last week. So like it was really cool.
0: Safety, safety. Yeah, and also
1: safety. But the point at which actually I'm happy that I'm awake and like about to start my day is not the gym. It's when I'm up and I'm in the bathroom and I'm brushing my teeth. Like that's usually when I feel really awake. Then I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym. i going to do this thing. I honestly Felicia I was never that person I was never the person who's like yeah I'm gonna get up and like you know like my friend who owns the gym she like gets up at four o'clock and like writes and like writes her book and like and then goes to the gym to teach classes and then you know like uh, yes but they you know all people will go to sleep at like nine o'clock you know what I'm saying like if I went to sleep at nine o'clock I'd be going to sleep before my children <laughs> like which you know, women and children aren't getting up to go to the gym at 4:30 in the morning. But but it is there is this moment when like you're finished, like especially the 5:30 class when I finish it, and I walk out of there at 6:30, the streets are still really quiet. People are beginning to sort of wake up and like go to yeah. day jobs. Um, but like I go to the 24-hour grocery store, I do my grocery shopping then because nobody's there. And I the like I'll go um, to the auto body place because they open at like 6.30 or 7 in the morning and nobody's there. And I'm like, no lines, no lines, everybody. No lines, just me. I like totally worked my ass off for an hour and now I'm gonna do this stuff and I'm gonna get home at 7.30 and two of the three people in my house are usually still asleep. But so I get to have breakfast. It's, yeah, this, it's, is a whole nother, this is a
0: whole other. This is a whole other commercial reference now. <laughs> have you seen the progressive insurance commercials about you know this guy who's a facilitator and a trainer helping new homeowners not become like their parents? Because,
1: yes, it's really. And then and they're saying quinoa, quinoa. Okay, yes, you have quinoa. it's <laughs> yes, a funny and, commercial. And, and and that moment. Are you where... suggesting that I'm becoming my parents? <laughs> You've never even met my
0: parents. <laughs> no, wait, time out. What I'm <laughs> suggesting is that there's a moment in the commercial <laughs> where this where this person says, "I got up really early and had a really big breakfast." <laughs> and this guy goes, oh, "Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares how early you got up." Right? Like what I'm hearing from you is like something that I have aspired to. I've wait, I've been waiting for that moment. I'm longing for that moment where you're just like up really early in the morning and you and you retired to the bedroom really early in the evening and and that you have that like sweet spot retirement old person life like I want that life you know when I was a teacher in a high school situation and I would have to wake up at a ridiculous 5 a.m hour to get on my bike to ride my bike to work Uh it was beautiful Uh you know I would I would ride my bike past the bakery and I would smell the fresh bread and and past construction and I would Smell fresh lumber, you know, it was like a beautiful moment, but that that moment, I guess, between waking up and brushing your teeth or waking up in the shower, that moment, that, that time in between the real wake up, ooh, it's <laughs> yeah. hard. Ooh, that's a struggle. And I and I guess what I'm what I'm curious about is you said that this is new. Right. That this is a new thing. But now that your body is learning how to, you know, go to bed at a certain hour and wake up at a certain different hour. And you also said this thing that you were really praising, which really made me think about this progressive commercial, which is nobody's there and nobody's there, as if that is now the goal, right? Like in COVID times, now that we've been here a year the goal is to go someplace when nobody's there and i just did an yeah. interview with patrick jackson and he we he and i were talking about how weekends and weekdays aren't really a thing anymore like we want to mm-hmm. do more work on weekends cuz there's more people out and we like make the weekend luxury time during the week because quote nobody's there right nobody's there so so our values have shifted based on what is now the shift in what is safe And the Mm -hmm. shift is um, in what we want versus like what we can have. Like you also mentioned that, you know, this 4.30, 5.30 new regimen is because a year into the pandemic, you now need that time Yes, that is yours alone. And we've we've been reading these stories about how people are missing the commute time, right? Mm -hmm. So that hi, whether it's a plane or a car or a bike or whatever, that time to and from, you know, didn't always used to be just down the hall um to the next bedroom or the living room or just to pick up the laptop and now I'm at school or I'm at work or whatever and so we're missing that time to daydream we're missing that time to just imagine you know like what could be or reflect on what has happened and let ourselves work through moving through things in that way and so yeah. you're like a different person now do you recognize well, yourself <laughs> is this evolution or is this going in a different mm-hmm. direction
1: Maybe it's evolution. Maybe it's being adaptive. Like I just, I think, you know, what I have discovered too, I was talking with a friend of mine about this is that like, it has felt very hard to find things about which you feel accomplished during the past year. This has been a very difficult year for accomplishment. And I said to her, part of what has felt really good about making this commitment is that not only is it as like my friend and trainer who owns the gym, calls like this is unapologetic like relentless self-care however you need to do it um which is for me like the aloneness the alone time is really part of that relentless self-care um but that it feels like it gives me a sense of accomplishment right now like it doesn't mean that things haven't been good at work in some ways or then, you know, people might be like, oh, well, you survived the whole year with kids home from school all year and all a whole summer. And now you're preparing for a second summer at home. And that's that in and of itself accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But like, I think having a sense of personal self, uh, like a personal and sense of self accomplishment, I think has been hard to find this year.
0: And so I'm kind of looking for it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think you just, you just really broke down a pretty thorough, uh, investigation of the definition of accomplishment, right? Like, so I get on, I get online, and I'm looking it up here. And it says, the verb to accomplish means to carry out or finish an action. And then it says to complete what you set out to do. And I think, I think those are the two parts, right? Like you finished a particular action. But then there's also like the intention part, Like, did you intend to do that, though? Like, just because I, you know, picked up all of the mess um, of a can that spilled on the ground, that doesn't mean I accomplished something. I didn't intend on spilling my entire soda from this can and making this mess, Totally, Totally. Like, we have accomplished many a great thing, Mm -hmm. uh, potentially, in this last year. For those of us who have survived, those of us who have survived amongst family members and friends who have not um, those of us who, finished a given class or a given academic year or a project that you were working on um, or mm-hmm. something that you were working towards. I mean, we could even say that these three now vaccines that are available are an amazing accomplishment. Yeah. Landing, yeah, landing a rover on Mars, an amazing accomplishment. The difference between landing on Mars though, and having three vaccines that can potentially save people's lives from this pandemic is that the Mars rover was always intended well <laughs> totally. before the pandemic. Yes. You don't yes. just think of it overnight and it just happens. And the yes. vaccine is it a great feat, less yes. an accomplishment, because we didn't intend on creating yeah. all new vaccines for a totally. worldwide pandemic. Maybe we should have. Yeah. So I yeah. hear maybe, you.
1: Maybe we should have. And <laughs> by the way, maybe we should not have withdrawn, you know, our uh, federal funds from the CDC, you know, those kinds of things. We didn't, M- you know. I mean, I mean they, maybe those things are related. Maybe. I don't know. Anyways, carry on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Please carry on. <laughs> um, but that's, that's the whole thing, right? Like in the darkest of times that actual phrase to carry on has been politicized and made into like a value judgment of like nationalism, right? Like stay calm, keep calm and carry on, you know, like from world war times. And now we're in a pandemic and it's the same thing. Like never have I ever felt like living in the United States, something catastrophic has happened. And we actually paused. You yeah. know, the last catastrophic thing that was like a huge, massive scale across the country for me, and many of us spoke to it at the beginning of this pandemic and this podcast was 9-11. And guess what? We didn't pause then either. I woke up, no. it, things had been bombed, and I had to go to work and teach. And those yes. students of mine in high school had to go to school. Nothing stopped.
1: Nothing stopped. And if, we, and if you remember, uh, George Bush told people to shop.
0: The, the way to deal with yes. that was to go
1: shopping. Yeah, yes. Engage
0: in retail. And so- I'm curious, like, is it an accomplishment when what we're trying to do is just keep our heads above water? And is it an accomplishment if you got through a very traumatic experience in your life that could have been prevented? Like, do you celebrate that? I guess I'm now at the point of do we celebrate anything? We've had moments over the last couple of weeks, maybe in the last month, Um, since the inauguration and right before it, where Biden has had maybe now three different moments of a moment of silence, of some sort of, you know, like commemorative way of honoring the hundreds of thousands initially in -hmm. the first time that there was this, you know, line of candles at the mall in Washington, D.C. to just this last week where there was another commemorative moment of silence. And we have now doubled that, you know, we're now uh, over half a million. And so I'm just curious, like, where in your mind and heart do you think is the place and what would be sufficient to really honor those who have died and yet still celebrate the fact that many of us have com- accomplished, quote unquote, still being here, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, we've been talking about this at work. Um, Cause I work for a national parenting and family advocacy organization of our national campaigner. And, We've been we this this week. We're talking about what to do for the one year, Um, and it was this this juxtaposition of like, how do we praise parents really and caretakers, not just parents but caretakers, caregivers, grandparents, legal guardians, people who are responsible for young people through the past year, who have really survived, like survived, (laughs) made it through what was very 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 difficult. Many um, during a time when not only are children experiencing extreme. Um, mental health care needs and challenges. They're isolated from their friends and from social interaction in school. Um, They're not doing the things that they're normally used to doing. Children need routine and structure. All of that stuff is gone. So things are hard for kids, but also things are hard for the caregivers of those children who are themselves struggling with their own mental health issues. So it feels very much like it is a huge accomplishment that caregivers and parents have, have survived. And so we talked about that and that we built resilience what's awful is that like we built resilience when some of that the need for that resilience could have been mitigated like if we had had better action and better policy and better care and quite honestly if our government prioritized families and just first of all gave a shit about families in the first place which typically they don't and it hasn't been the case and that has that was the case well before the pandemic right but all of that said we're here and doing the best that we can And that's notable. And that to me feels like an accomplishment. But what's also really hard is like, you know, as we were talking about this and sort of thinking about our content calendar at work and how do we engage some of our members around this in a meaningful way. um, One of the things I brought up was like, what we also need to memorialize what has been so awful. Like, I think we are really um, in a place where folks should be celebrating what we've made it through so far, even knowing that like the future remains tenuous and unclear, um, and that like many of those same caregivers, grandparents, parents, foster parents, legal guardians of young people, many of them died too. Like this is, so now there are families that are in, in ruin because their families lost the people who took care of them. Um, and I don't really know, like I, it's like, I don't know that, like, it feels almost like they, I don't know, this is just me. It feels almost like they cancel each other out and we just like maintain this like level of stasis, like still here, woke up today, doing what needs to be done today, probably going to be the same tomorrow, but who knows for sure, because there might be an insurrection. I have no idea. Who knows? There might be some other stressful, traumatic thing happening on top of a year of trauma that people are experiencing collectively. And this is what, I mean, I feel like this is what we talked about in our very first conversation about like, what does this mean around collective trauma Um, in a nation that has no idea what to do when people feel emotion? Um, And like that, I just feel a little like, I'm just sort of holding steady. Like if I can just keep the scale from flopping over one way or the other too much, like some days I'll cope with memes and I'll laugh and some days I will just be really sad that my best friend's husband is one of the first people who died in Georgia. Like, like this is, it's just all happening at the same time. So I don't really know. So your question, what do we celebrate? I don't know. Are we just like, hooray, we made it. (laughs) Like we're here, but the truth is not all of us made it.
0: I feel like, I feel like maybe celebrate isn't the right word potentially you know, um, but I think stopping to mark and acknowledge and let something move through us in all of those ways, it's almost as if the celebrating part is what we get to do by just merely still being here, right? Like that Mm -hmm. is the thing that's ongoing. That's the thing Mm -hmm. that we can continue to cultivate and want to continue. But that that's that morning part. If we don't make room for it, then it will find us, you know, yeah. like you, you were just well, putting the lid does. on it. That energy yeah. is going to go somewhere. It's going to come out in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking, I was thinking about two things. One, the idea of a zero sum game right? Like, so zero sum game is this like theory where it's a mathematical, I'm going to quote here, the internet, mathematical representation of a situation in which each participant's gain or loss of utility is exactly balanced by the losses or gains of the utility of the other participants. Mm -hmm. And so there is no gain, there is no loss for you or for anyone else. It is a zero sum game. Yeah. But I'm curious, you know, when we talk about a zero sum game, it's as if there's no advancement that like, you know, because the intention in order to claim it as an accomplishment is that someone will be the victor, someone will win. But if there is no intention of one person or one group of people being victorious, then isn't zero sum gaming the intention? Because isn't zero sum gaming called balance in other places? Like, I'm I'm just curious, like, is our intention is our goal to not be in balance, and to always be ahead, positively, more so than our negative. Like, is is this the big lesson from this year, that we are living and dying at the same time all around us, and that we're seeing it at a different level than we've ever seen it before. Like I had a whole art show right before the pandemic, literally Mm -hmm. months before shelter in place, that was called Still Here. And it was about living with chronic illness. And it was all this medicinal refuge being used to make art. And everyone thought it was about me saying I was still here.
1: Yeah. Really,
0: the whole art exhibit was about saying my chronic illness is still here. I Mm -hmm. can't ever get rid of it. It isn't uh, a fight where there is an absolute victor. It is constantly fighting and constantly trying to be at a zero sum game.
1: Well, and, you know, like maybe the what's what's illustrative about that is that like, oh, that indicates us that we were never living in any other kind of way. (laughs) Exactly. You know, like we, we were never living in any other kind of way. It is extreme now. And it makes me think about like something that I've been sort of chewing on the last few days with my own children about, um, that the pandemic a year later is teaching me how I need to be engaging with my children differently mm-hmm. that like, there's been so much loss for my kids as well. And my kids are like, I've said this in our past conversations on the podcast, like, really privileged, have lots of access, have everything that they need in order to do distance learning. They are still engaged in their athletics, so they have some social engagement with with other children and other people. Um, My husband and I have had job stability this entire time. So all of those things being true, my oldest is also just really struggling emotionally. And we had a a sort of tête-à-tête this week about something that was completely unrelated to what ended up being the real issue, which was that like, she shared with me that like school really sucks and she's really upset and she feels really sad and she feels really alone. And um, and it culminated out of this conversation about, she's a, she races BMX bikes um, and is an elite, and is an elite athlete um, about how she wasn't training the way we thought that she should be training. Um, and so we were, everything was like around, built around this, combative conversation about training, when really what we needed to talk about was the suffering she was feeling and experiencing in another place that was making everything else in her life feel. um, I mean, I know as somebody who has Mm -hmm. clinical depression, when everything else feels deadened, or dull, or like, you just don't have the energy to do anything else, even the things you know, you love. Mm -hmm. And um, it made me think about like, this zero sum, completely out of balance, winning losing piece, <clears throat> where I think, as parents, we sometimes, I will speak for myself, um, sometimes know that like, as somebody who's in my mid forties, I know more than a twelve year old, and I will just tell you that this is how you know X Y or Z needs to go, and um, not everything is up for negotiation, and uh, you don't live in a democracy in my house, like that's just not. what
0: And (laughs) those are some of the saddest, (laughs) those are some of the saddest realizations as a child, you know, like what? Also as a student, when your teacher's like, I know I'm talking to you about democracy, but guess what? That doesn't exist
1: here. Not, not here. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And I realized halfway through that conversation where I was trying to, what ended up feeling like this zero something about her training, like either you did this or that's not going to happen, or if this doesn't happen, then that doesn't happen. And I realized halfway through that like, what I needed to do was step way back and one, like let go of my need to be right and fight and control. Because that's also part of like determinants of a zero sum game. And I realized that like, I have to interact with my sad kid in a really different way. And not just because she's sad about a thing. She's sad because she's been depressed for a year. And what needed to happen was I needed to say, help me understand why you're hurting. Like I can still be frustrated about some, you know, practice thing that I thought should have happened. But the real question here is whether or not I'm capable of asking my child and giving her the opportunity to learn how to explain to me what her suffering is about. And I think, um, you know, that becomes really difficult. Like at a time like this, when This is also true, I think, in partnerships. Like when people exist in the same space together under stress for a long time, everybody's worst behaviors become very acute. Everybody's worst communication skills become very, very present. Um, And even when you think you're doing a good job um, or even when you think as a caregiver uh, or a parent who quite honestly probably knows more than a 12 year old what's right here or what the long-term outcome will be that doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's the right thing to do to help a young person or even yourself in whatever emotional state we are all in right now because of this pronounced year of trauma.
0: I mean, thank you for really unpacking that and also giving us a, a very detailed and clear example of what that is looking like in your home. And I think mm-hmm. in many, if not most homes yeah. um, across the U S right now. And I, I think that, you know, like any other time where something really traumatic happens to us, there is a physical mm-hmm. biological and a mental, you know, response to it. And, mm-hmm. You know, I I recently had a detached retina situation last week and and some surgeries and some things. And at the end of it, you know, um, it was not the first thing that had ever been done to my eye. It Mm -hmm. is maybe like the 20 somethingness thing that has happened to my eye. And so it's like picking at a scab or re-traumatizing a traumatic part physically of my body that then cues up all this emotional stuff too. Mm -hmm. And when you're first initially hurt or in shock or in physical pain, like this adrenaline thing kicks in, right? And adrenaline is this wonderful, beautiful chemical (laughs) that surges through our body And allows us to do things that we wouldn't normally be able to do without it. Stay calm, Mm -hmm. lift up cars, um, you know, make it to the hospital um, without causing more harm, deliver a child. You know, there's all different kinds of things that this chemical reaction of you are in pain. This is, I'm going to help you. Your body's going to help you get through this moment. But then when the medicine wears off, I mean, the adrenaline is gone. You are left with that energy and that pain and that trauma mm-hmm. of what happened and it needs the space and the time to settle before you yeah. can even approach it and know what yeah. it even is. So mm-hmm. it's not shocking to me or surprising to me and maybe not to you or anybody else in, in very small hindsight to look back at what's been happening the last few weeks and months and go, oh, it's, we're at that new stage of shelter in place and the the new part and phase of long-term pandemic living where now we are not just holding on we are not just waiting with the adrenaline it isn't just a few weeks or a few Mm -hmm. months it's been a year and there really is no exact end in sight just yet and so now all of us children and adults included maybe even pets and animals are getting a chance to finally stake t- take stock of comparing this year to the year before, and yeah. using that comparison to imagine what the future is going to hold. And it totally. doesn't look cute. It sure does not. It sure does not.
1: It, and you know, I think what's been interesting too is that I have had um, I've been thinking a lot about like why it took me so long to be more present for my kids why it took me because listen i mean at work we talk about this all the time i mean we talk about like how parents are suffering we talk about how people who are gendered as women and who identify as mothers are leaving the workforce at astronomically high rates um and all the reasons you know like that illustrates all the reasons why um you know our government doesn't care about families and paid leave and prioritizing family work as real work and, you know, like, like appreciating women's work, whatever that is, like all, all I'm talking about this stuff all day long. And we've been talking about the extreme mental health pressure that young people are in right now, like, or under right now, how many kids are um, clinically depressed? How many kids are suicidal? How many kids are really, really struggling in profound ways and do not have access to the care that they need. And particularly, we're talking about like, I mean, of all grades, but I've been paying very close attention to middle schoolers and high schoolers, that's my kid's age, right? So I know all of this. And I think part of what made me not able to see and this is like, it's been sort of a weird thing to say it out loud is that like, I just kept leaning on all of our privileges, like, but our kids are fine, because they have internet our kids are fine because they have sports our kids are fine because you know they have parents who have economic we're not we're not like the families that are really struggling and in many ways we're not in material ways we certainly are not but I think what that meant was I actually did a disservice to my child who was in fact emotionally struggling far before I was like oh my god I need to stop and be a more present parent and um, be more capable of really asking what the hurt was about because I just assumed that because we aren't hurting like other people, then we're okay. The kids are not okay. The kids are not okay in all kinds of families with all kinds of resources. The kids are not okay, and um, and that's it's a, it's a weird thing. Like I haven't I haven't known quite what to. Do about that, (laughs) you know? Like, except maybe just say it out loud. Like, we have all these privileges, and this is what my children are experiencing. And it makes it really, you know, like, oh, profoundly clear how how much young people must be suffering who don't have all of this stuff. If my children are suffering this much, um, it means that there are millions of children everywhere who haven't been to school all year who can't be found by their teachers, who don't have access, who don't have food, who are like getting onto Zoom calls and crying because they're hungry. Like this is what's really happening right now. And our zero sum game now feels like, like, I just keep thinking about that. Like, oh, like now who's gonna get the vaccine and how are we gonna get the vaccine? And who's gonna get it and who won't get it? Who gets the first, who doesn't get it? Like, I just keep thinking <laughs> like, when are the families of children You know, with parents who are essential workers and who can't afford food, with a little girl who's crying in a classroom, like when do they get it? Like what is, so I just, I feel very full. And right now I feel like my, my emotional and sort of mental space feels very jumbled around feeling like I failed my kids for a while this year around their emotional needs, because I wanted to, I just assumed that they were fine. Or that because they were better than other kids or we have it better than so many other people, that I think I paid less attention to that than I should
0: have. Well, I think if it matters to you at all, mm-hmm. that you're still the most amazing uh, parent that I know because oh. you even care about the kind of parent that you are, you know? It's like, if you don't think about and try and always notice your blind spot, then that is in fact your blind spot, yeah. you know? And so I think that, you know, what I want to share with you is that what if your child was going through all of this and we weren't in a pandemic? Like, so how much grace and latitude are you affording yourself um, in this moment because of the moment and not because of the situation? Because let me tell you, I don't know of a single 12 year old who outside of a pandemic isn't going through an incredible amount of suffering emotionally because you're 12 because you're 12 and you're you're 13 (laughs) and you're 14 (laughs) and you're 15 and you're 16 like this really outside of the pandemic thing happens when you get a surge of new hormones and your body is changing without your consent And in ways that they didn't ask you, would you like them this size? Would you even like them at all? Like, (laughs) nobody's asking you anything. This is the time where there's no consent for anything. And you want to go back and you want to go forward and you don't want to be in the present so badly that this is actually where the habits of learning that this can just move through you and how to just sort of you you know like let it move through you versus trying to control like it's a complicated time. Middle school teachers everywhere before the pandemic and after the pandemic are the heroes of all educators yeah. because yeah. they are literally dealing with people who are completely just bananas. And it's because they are not who they used to be and they are not who they're going to be either. They are in the chrysalis. They are no longer caterpillars and they are not quite butterflies yet. And you're like, please wake up. Please want to do something. Please share share with me how you're feeling. Oh, you don't even know how you're feeling. Right this is the time to introduce here is a vocabulary list of all the kinds of feelings you could have. Let's look them yes. up and really get a sense of which one there is because it isn't just happy or sad. There are so many things in between.
1: I know. So, okay. That's, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yes. Contextualizing because- yes
0: it's so true. Just don't zoom out to the place where you go as far out as the pandemic in the world. Zoom out also in time and age and understand that a 12 year old grieving right now makes absolute sense. And if you were to say that all of this was happening last year, it would also totally make sense. And by the way, since you have another one, another child who's just a few yes. years younger. Oh, Baku, what I want to tell you is that this is going to be your life for the next <laughs> 10 years. And it has very little to do with the pandemic, but the pandemic just adds to it. So yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to say like, oh, dismiss all of this and everything no. you said. No, I hear you. I'm just adding mm-hmm. another dimension to it that like this would be happening anyways. And a preview to you yes. that it is going to be ongoing for a very <laughs> long, horrific potential time. But it's just a well, new version. Know, it's, it's a new version of your it parenting. Is. It's a new it version is. of their life. It's a new version of your parenting. You are going to have to change too. It is. Yes.
1: And, you know, and, and Nate and I are both really trying to figure out what it means for us to change and to meet their needs. You know, like, and it's interesting because I appreciate like the big zoom out. 'Cause that's true for both of my children at this age who are ten and twelve, prepubescent, preteen. Um and like it's, it's that's a good container to imagine what pan- like to see the pandemic and to see like what is what is different. Like so if I can say, Oh, like developmentally, yes. They're gonna be talking back and developmentally, they're gonna roll their eyes to everything I say. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, developmentally, they're going to live in their pajamas all day in their bedroom, like, and then come out for dinner and unload the dishwasher. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. I can see that. And also, my God, the pandemic is just like, has just made it so much more potent, you know? And like, for my younger one, it's really different. Like my older one who um, wants to please people, and wants to feel like the good feelings, not the bad feelings, Mm -hmm. um, who will avoid the feelings that she has described as bad in favor of only feeling the good things. Like my younger one is really different. She's an empath, so she feels all things. She feels all the things she's feeling and the pandemic has been really hard for her because she felt all the things that the rest of us are feeling. So when we fight, when we're sad, when we are angry, when we're frustrated, she feels it all and she absorbs it all. And so she has, she's like a exuberant, funny kind of a joker. Like she's, she's really witty and super silly and very, very just um, smart around humor. Um, but there, I have seen her also become more subdued, not because she's not so funny, but she will become more subdued when there's just a lot of feelings around her that other people are having. And that happens a lot more now. And and she is starting to play this role of like wanting to take care of everybody and fix everybody. Partly because she's worried about other people, but also because she knows that that's like an emotional mitigation strategy for her. Like she would never attend, she wouldn't articulate that. But as her mother, knowing that she's an empath, I can see that. So like if she could thwart a fight or like tell two people to stop or intervene and stand up for her sister in a way that like makes me or her dad back down, that also means that that's a fight she doesn't have to absorb. Like that's a bunch of excess feeling and emotion that she doesn't have to take on. She figured that out. And a couple of times she's basically told me that. And that's like a whole other ball of wax. That's new behavior in the pandemic.
0: Yes and it's also incredibly familiar as the youngest in my family yeah. you know being the entertainer is how you are different than the oldest who's just the mm-hmm. oldest and so gets everything first so you've got to figure <laughs> out what can you what can you possibly get yeah. good attention from and then, yeah. you know, it's like a Tom and Jerry situation. When you're the mouse, you get to see everything from a very mm-hmm. different vantage point. You see everything mm-hmm. you're, you're constantly in the zoom out cause you're so small. And so, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you become an empath and you feel everybody's feelings and everybody's things, because how could you not, it all hits you down on the bottom. Cause you're the little mouse. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite a year and you know, if I were to look back and if you and I were to like, think about even replay reread the transcripts of our previous interviews, there has never been a moment where you and I have spoken. And at some point these kids don't come into the damn story yes. and take up a <laughs> yeah. ton of room. Like they are just these leeches, these moles <laughs> on you, you know, like you can't get rid of them unless you yeah. go children, to the gym. Children
1: are just, they're just parasites I'm
0: yeah. from the minute.
1: They implant themselves in implant themselves in my uterus, literally, in the truest sense, a parasite.
0: <laughs> parasite, absolute but parasite. That's so cute. They are they're the cutest parasites ever. Let's talk about one last thing really quickly, and then okay. I have one last question for you. So I mentioned and previewed, you know, this is us. This is yeah. us is a TV show about siblings and a family. Interestingly enough on the same day and an hour before is Queen Sugar which is also about siblings but it's a black family in the south Um, and my mom and I watch these two shows black family and siblings and then uh, we watch This Is Us white family with one black sibling and they're so very different This Is Us we watch it and we weep and we just cry the whole time but when we watch Queen Sugar we feel empowered and there is no crying we feel like there's a fight and these shows are very different in that way one is about a constant fight that would be queen sugar and this is us about is about a constant trying to uncover and find out who the hell are we and who are we going to be Mm -hmm. and so they have these two different things going on but both of these shows have experimented as have many now um with showing us being the TV mirror, right? Like good television does two things. It mirrors what's happening in real life. And two, it pushes us and educates us to maybe be better than we currently are. And Mm -hmm. so right now you have TV shows that are making a choice. Some of them have not included the pandemic into their Mm storylines. And you watch those shows and you go, this isn't even believable anymore. Or some folks fantasize and love that it's not there. Remember when and someday it'll be like that. But then there are those like me and maybe you that really appreciate it when it's just real. And Mm -hmm. so the closer it is to reality and an actual reflection, the better. So this is us has been playing with what happened in this summer and the reckoning around racism and white supremacy in this country and also the pandemic and yeah. the complexity just this last episode on having a baby um, and being a new mom, whether that's an adoptive mom or a birth mom mm-hmm. during the pandemic and what is that like. And so I'm curious, are you still watching the show? And I am. how do you feel about the inclusion of the storyline? And, you know, we've been talking a lot about the girls noticeably absent from the storyline in This Is Us, is how the pandemic has been for the children. It's Mm -hmm. really been centered on the parents. And so I'm wondering if, you know, what your thoughts are on the potential that these shows have to show us what it's like for kids too, and that missing.
1: It's so funny that you say that because after the last episode, which was all about like the baby being born and the surrogate having the baby or the or the birth mom having the baby, mm-hmm. um, and um, their mom in at the cabin not able to see anybody because they're right. quarantining. Right. And I thought, oh, this is this is so interesting. And then I wondered, I really did like, are they are the kids? They don't actually show the kids doing like in person or or at home school, like, and those are three, those are like prominent characters in the show. I would love it. I would love it. If they talked about mental health, I would love it if they talked about like how the young people are struggling like that feels like such a missed opportunity Mm -hmm. um, that especially because given, given the overarching narrative, those families, the family members aren't seeing each other. So they're isolating Yeah, nuclear family narratives in *This Is Us*, which is a perfect opportunity to talk about what's happening with the kids, especially because in in uh, Randall's family they have already dealt with any number of developmental and emotional needs and identity-based needs for the kids. That it makes perfect sense that this would be there, or Mm -hmm. certainly they could weave it in with like kids and their own friends. It doesn't have to be the kids, those kids in particular, but God, I would love to see it because. It, um, one of the one, so this is related. One of the things we do at my job is we poll our members. We have two and a half million members. Um, and we have been doing a lot of family and parent polling. And mental health, the mental health challenges that families and children are facing right now, is consistently one of the top three issues. Yeah. It's like economic security, like, will we have enough money for food? It's mental health and it's school consistently over and over and over and over. There are lots of things that many families are dealing with right now. Um, And in our, one of our more recent polls, youth mental health was like way, way high up on those. So it just seems like if you're going to be talking on a show like this, where there are millions of people watching every week, um, if you're gonna be incorporating a COVID storyline, why not this? Like, why not this? Do it. I would love to see it.
0: It it feels like a real missed opportunity. And it also feels like I don't know where to guide young people to watch right now where the storyline really matches what they're feeling, because it might be shows that deal with, you know, mental health or deal with the complexities of being in middle school or high school, but they don't have the added part of the pandemic. No, they don't.
1: It's like it's whatever drivel I've been watching on like Nickelodeon or like, you know, whatever that. (laughs) stupid bunk show is you know like summer camp shows like it's all stuff that yeah this isn't real and the only places right now where kids can go are like if their families have the resources maybe their spiritual communities have resources if they're lucky maybe their schools are doing something but I'm pretty sure I I, I just looking at what our own school I mean and I'm not necessarily mad about it because what schools have the funding to build capacity to support kids who all need mental health care
0: right um right
1: so like what are kids doing there's like a hotline to talk to other teens like there's a national hotline kids can call just to talk to somebody else who is a peer about what they're experiencing, and those teens on the hotline have some support, but like they're not therapists. They're not like. Right. They're, I just think, what is there for these kids besides like more, you know, Roblox and Minecraft and TikTok, yeah, and whatever else, and a tablet on your face?
0: Because all of those things, TikTok. I mean, I go to TikTok when I want to just completely, you know, not be in reality mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. right and i laugh at a dancing dog i lance yeah. i laugh at a dancing parent and child duo or whatever and and that's where i get my joy but that's only where i can get my joy it's not where i can get my relief it yeah, is not a yeah. place where i can talk about like what's really happening and hear about what's really happening and just sit with that for a moment it's only a place to distract and have something mm-hmm. else be my reality and yeah. i wonder if maybe what's happening with tv shows like this and us this is us and others that have child characters have full family you know narratives and are right now currently not showing the effect of COVID-19 and the pandemic on, on younger people is maybe because of child labor laws, is maybe because of child actor laws, is maybe because the parents of those children are like, no, we're not going on set right now with a bunch of folks that are maybe gonna put you at you know a, a higher exposure to the pandemic, especially since yeah. there's no vaccine for you as a child. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know if that is maybe what is the um, barrier to really including them or if it's a writing issue. Or if it's been an yeah. audience issue this whole time, and that this is us was made for you and I in our mid forties who can yes. completely identify with the adults, and it wasn't supposed <laughs> to be a full family show.
1: I suspect that that's probably true, even though my twelve year old, my twelve year old, totally watches in it. it yeah. watches it. Yeah, yeah absolutely religiously.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And well, because there, there is a 12-year-old in it and they had yeah. a larger storyline and that has been complicated. Okay. Yeah. Final question for you okay. because we could clearly talk for way much longer <laughs> than than anyone anticipated. Final question. You know, when we started this podcast, I asked everybody, all the 30 participants, you know, what does this time remind you of and what do you remember about how you got through that time and how are you getting through this now? Mm-hmm. And you shared about a lot of things that Mm -hmm. have happened in your life where there was grief, where there was mourning, where there was an absence of knowing exactly what was going to happen next. Um, And how do you sit with that? And how do you work through that? And and all of those things. Well, now it's been a year. And we have some lessons here, whether they're good or bad, about how we got through this last year. And that's really what we were talking about right now. The, the zero sum game, the balance, the grief, is this a normal 12 year old experience? Is this not, how do I make sense <laughs> of this? And am, am I a horrible parent now? Cause I didn't notice, or am I a, a good parent because I'm noticing that I didn't notice. And I wouldn't have noticed anyways, you know, like <laughs> yes. all these kinds of things, but I'm wondering if you could think of this podcast in this moment right now as like a time capsule of sorts And you could leave yourself, almost Obi-Wan Kenobi like with Princess Leia, a message into the future. This is a message for yourself in the future to remind yourself, well, this is how you got through the first year of the pandemic, so this is how you can get through this moment. Or or it's a message for your children or, oh my gosh, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren who are going to look at this and read this or hear this at some point and be able to think, oh, this is how they got through that moment. What would you say, what is your advice for what to do, what not to do? What did you learn through how to get through a global pandemic in the first year?
1: Um, There are probably two things I would say. The first is that you only control what you can control. So that means you have some control over how you will meet a situation. How you will choose to feel about it. How you will deal with whatever feelings you have about that thing. You don't control anybody else. You don't control if anybody else is going to put a mask on their face. You don't control if anybody else is going to think about the health and the needs of your community. You don't control what's going to happen at school. You don't control what's going to happen at work. You can control how you need the challenge. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult. So feel whatever you're going to feel. And then you also have control over what you're going to do about how you feel. And ultimately, how you're going to treat other people or engage with other people based on your universe and what you really can put your hands on. Um, And I think that's been a huge lesson in so many ways this last year. And then the other lesson is like one that I've been thinking a lot about. I listened to Brene Brown's podcast,
0: she Mm -hmm. has
1: two on Spotify. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was listening to, the one that she does on leadership and she was interviewing somebody and she said, I need to remind myself that I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right, not be right. And I think that is sort of the, the back, sort of the, the last third of this year and my talking about my interaction with my older daughter, um, that like, I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. I'm here to learn, to see the mistakes, to try to adjust, and to try to shift and to grow. And um, and like I think that's, that was true before March 2020, but it sure as hell is really true right now because there's just, there will be lots of obstacles and things where I might feel like I know more, I wanna litigate, I wanna be right, I wanna whatever that is. Um, but that doesn't mean that I will get it right, whether that's parenting or being a good partner, or being a good friend, or being a good family member, being a good worker, being whatever it is that like, I'm here to be. Um, So yeah, that's been like, super front of mind for me, which is like, get it right, you don't have to be right. It's not about being right. Um, So yeah, so those two things combined, you know, like that, for me, is like, okay, that's like, you know, sort of the full circle conversation about like, waking up at 430 and going to the gym, I control that. Yeah. I control that. And that helps me be in a place where then I am in better control over how I feel and my emotions and whatever else I'm feeling right now these days. Just, welcome to the pandemic. A child just came into the house. Um, <laughs> so that those are the things I do control when I wake up at that hour and I choose to exercise. And it helps me be um, better able to try to get it right and um, have less of a need to be right.
0: Well, my friend, I feel like I should let you go so that you could get your rest because (laughs) it's, it's getting close to 9pm. It's almost (laughs) almost your bedtime. And by the time I'm just barely really finally asleep, 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 and maybe in REM sleep is when you'll be waking up. Um,
1: Well, I promise I will text (laughs) you at that hour.
0: Please don't. Um, but if you do, (laughs) I will, I will take any, uh, time message from you because that's what I have learned, um, in the pandemic, which is time. What is that? What is time? Time (laughs) time is what you make, uh, time for. (laughs) And so thank you for allowing me to make time to hear from you and check in with you. And the real, thank you. The real, the real dilemma now is, what will I do with this time moving <laughs> forward, where I'm not talking to 30 people every two months to see how things are? Um, and so there's a lot of a lot of uh, ideas of where the 30 participants are going to be in the coming months. Um, and uh, I don't know. I guess it's ripe for a 10 year yeah. reunion.
1: Yes, and someday when the pandemic does not restrict it and when there's clearly going to be like a like a million dollars in resourcing for this we should all get together we should yes. like all have a convening like a retreat or like a like let's all get together and talk about this experience
0: yeah that's wild uh we'll have to figure out who's paying for that now <laughs> that's happening or more importantly when it's happening but yes that would be the ultimate maybe, that's maybe the ultimate we can
1: convince, maybe we convince Brene round to turn it into some kind of a research thing And then Brene can help us.
0: Brene, are you listening? Brene,
1: Brene, if you're listening to this, hello, tap, 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 tap.
0: Hello, are you there?
1: (laughs) Maybe there's sort of a longitudinal study on the emotional development of all of the 30 of us who have been experiencing the pandemic together. I'm telling you, and Felicia has all this data already. So, Brene, (laughs) call me. Call Felicia. Don't call me. Call Felicia
0: no don't call me don't call me call you call you call, call Brene Brene if you're listening call call Paku and and Brene I yes. quoted you recently Brene my favorite quote of yours is that stories are just data with a soul and let yes. me just tell you there's so much soul and there's so much data up in these stories so Brene call Paku and she will call me um, You've been listening to Been There, Done That, your pandemic survival podcast sponsored by the New Economy Coalition, a membership-based network representing the solidarity economy movement in the United States. Visit NEC at neweconomy.net. Until next time, I'm your host, Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human.